such the people of God to come together and worship you corporately. We indeed come here in spirit and in truth. And with all that we are, we worship all that you are. Our prayer is that our worship would be uh, acceptable to you. This is your day. It's a day that we set aside, that, that you have set aside to mark us off as a unique people. I pray, Father, that you will bless and honor everything done here this morning, especially as we become, or we uh, move to the centerfold of, of our worship, and that is the Word of God. Bless the preaching of the Word today. Our Father, we pray that you would bless this offering. We thank you for the way you have prospered us. There's nothing in our houses. There's nothing in our refrigerators. We drive nice cars. There's nothing we possess. Even the clothes on our back is a gift from you. And we thank you for the way you have smiled upon us. We give back a portion of what is already yours to further the kingdom of God. Finally, Lord, I would pray for Amy Smith and her family. I pray you'll comfort them today as they grieve the loss of of their dad, and I pray that you'll be with him tomorrow through that service. We lift up Carol to you today, and we pray, God, that you would raise her up from this sickbed and clear that infection from her lungs. Bless the Austell family this week. Lord, we pray these things because we can. We pray these things because we need to. And you are God. You are faithful. We lift these things up to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Your insert in your bulletin, the song sheet, because our work really invites you as we close out this morning uh, to sing with us again in response to the Word of God. This is, um, this is really the beginning of the Easter season for us. I, I think I've got my dates right. Let's see if I've got this straight. Next weekend, this coming Sunday, actually Saturday night, uh, you're supposed to set your clocks forward as we enter the, the uh, time change. So we spring forward this coming weekend. So do that, and then you won't be uh, late for church next Sunday. Do I have that right? Then the following week is, if I've got my dates right, is Palm Sunday. But the Sunday after that is Easter. Now, I may be one week ahead on, that, on my time, but nevertheless, we are entering kind of the Easter season that best time, I think, for the church when we declare who we are in the person of Jesus Christ. So, as I was preparing for the, to preach this weekend in Jimmy's absence, I wanted to look into one of the, the, uh, the gospel stories that had something to do or was, that fell in the time in the latter days of Jesus Christ. So, I chose this text in John 11. Now, last uh, Easter season, I preached on, on uh, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and so I prepared a text on the triumphal entry. And so this is a story that kind of is, uh, t- takes place about a week before that. So every preacher needs a series of sermons to preach during the Easter season, so I'm building my files for Easter, so maybe one day I can preach several weeks all the way through Easter. So this is why uh, we come to this text in John 11, and we'll be reading verses 17 through 24. Now, Jimmy, he left town for the weekend and left his throat problems here. And so I pray that my throat holds out for two services. I don't know. When, when we, my kids were growing up at home and we got sick. Carla always trashed the toothbrushes and we would start over, you know, just that was something she picked up, I think, from her mom. And maybe we need to need a new pulpit. I don't know, but disinfect this thing or something. But... Uh, I've inherited his problems, his throat problem for the weekend, hopefully, just for the weekend. 
Let's read verses 17 through 27. Now guys, this is of course the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. If we look in the first verses of chapter 11, Jesus is summoned back to Bethany and um, to... Uh, to uh, comfort Martha and Mary. And verse 17, he arrives at the city gate and we find there a conversation that Jesus has with Martha. Mary stays at home and she's grieving the loss of her brother. So one of the main characters in our text today is Martha. Let's begin reading verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Well, gang, every sermon needs a good title. And this one was a little bit difficult because we could go to all kinds of places with this text. But here it is. Did you notice the sermon title is True Faith, Temporary Unbelief. True Faith, Temporary Unbelief. Now, I propose to you guys that Martha was a woman of true faith. And yet she is a woman who has been stunned by trauma in her life, significant loss. And at least momentarily, Martha stumbles in her, in her faith. There's periods of temporary unbelief. Now guys, my, my point or my strategy here is not to be critical of Martha because I think we're just like Martha. I mean, has anybody here come to the place of perfect faith in your life? Have you ever doubted the claims of Christianity? Really, have you ever wondered, is this really true? Is there going to be a resurrection of the last day? And if Jesus is who he said he is or was, it changes everything. Now, here's my thesis this morning. Here's what I'm going to try to defend in this text. When our life story is taken up into Christ's life, his death, and His resurrection, it changes everything. My parents are in town for the weekend. They got in town Thursday night. I took off Friday and I drove my parents up to uh, into Poinsett County, Arkansas. My mother has a brother that lives there in a little community called Lepanto, Arkansas. It's a small place. And uh, we had lunch with my uncle. And then after lunch, he took us out to the local cemetery. Right at the edge of town is a small cemetery. And there I have several relatives buried. My, both sets of my grandparents are buried there. And I, my sister, who many of you told, heard me tell stories about Barbara, who died when she was 18 years old, her grave is there. And we visited my sister's grave. Now, we're not a family that visits cemeteries very often. In fact, I think in the past 30 years, this is the first time that I went to that cemetery with the 
specific intention of visiting Barbara's grave. And it was quite a day for us. In fact, when we were driving back, we were driving my parents back to Memphis down Interstate 55 Friday afternoon, just a flood of memories which came back into my mind. I remember the day we buried my sister. It was on a Monday, uh, April the uh, 7th. And uh, it was a spring day. The, the morning had been cloudy and kind of a depressing morning for a 12-year-old boy. And I remember that afternoon after we had buried her, <clears throat> we got back in the family car. You know, the cars were the, the funeral home cars. And we were riding back to uh, town and to, to the city. And I remember sitting in that car with and overcome with this sense of, of security and love that I had for my family. It had been cloudy that morning, but in the afternoon, on that April day, the, the clouds had broken away and the sun was shining. And I, and I had these feelings that spring was coming, new life. And it was there in that car that, as a 12-year-old boy, through the providence of God, I began to develop a Christian worldview, a life view that was based upon the reality of Jesus Christ. That if He is who He said He was, it changes everything for me. That is, if Jesus truly is the resurrection, then there will be a resurrection in the last day. And I will see my sister again. Now guys, I share that with you because John 11, I think, stands as one of the great hinge points in human history. For in the midst of death, real-life drama, Jesus zeroes in on one of the pivotal issues of human existence. When he says these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And I can just imagine that Jesus locked his eyes on Martha's and he asked one of the most profound questions found in the Bible. And Jesus asked Martha, Martha, do you believe? And Jesus, who knows Martha's heart better than Martha knows, he knows that Martha is a woman of faith. And yet he asks, do you believe? Now, guys, I want to begin the sermon with application before we look at this main point. And the application has to do with who Jesus Christ is. Now, nothing that I say this morning will be new to you. A majority of you are just like me. You were raised in church all of your life. You sat in Sunday school and you heard your teachers say that Jesus is the resurrection, that there will be life after death. Jesus was the Son of God. It's not new. But guys, if we ever need to hear this message, we need to hear it today. There is, this is a new day that we live in. When I sat in that little independent Baptist church back in the late 60s and I heard Mr. Hammer tell me that Jesus was the resurrection, things were different in this country. This is a new day. In fact, there's a new, what people are calling a new tolerance in America. And this new tolerance in our land says that all ideas, all values, all truth claims are equal. Did you get that? It's, it's the age of pluralism. There's this great synthesis of religions and religious views. Even truth claims are all equal. And guys, there are major religious groups taking advantage of this new disposition in our country. In fact, there's a new phrase, the experts have coined, rechurching the unchurched. And what that's relating to is that the fact that this country, the United States, is one of the most religious nations in the world. The majority of the people in this country have had some connection in their past 
to mainline denominations. And one of the fastest growing churches in the world is the Mormon church. And they're literally filling their pews with people coming out of evangelical backgrounds. And the reason they are is because Christians, even people... Christians do not have their Christology right. They do not understand the doctrine of Christ. And everything hinges upon this issue. In fact, George Barnum has just completed a national survey. He spent thousands of dollars surveying uh, people across this country between 1999 and the year 2000. He was looking for the religious and attitude beliefs of, of uh, people in America. And one of the questions he proposed to Christians, people claiming to be Christians, was this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ sinned during his lifetime? Now, of the Christians that he proposed this question, question to, almost 40% said yes, that Jesus Christ sinned during his lifetime. Again, I remind you that one of the main arguments of, of John's epistle, 1 John, is the identity of Jesus Christ. You want to know if you have true faith? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? And John proposes this question, who is the liar? It is the man, he says, who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. And then John reverses it. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And Jesus' own words... No one comes to the Father except by me. And that brings me to the first flaw in, in Martha's Christology. It's a, it's a, she stumbles a bit in her belief in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's found in verse 22. Look at this. In verse 22 she says, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Again, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this or not, but shouldn't Martha have said something like this? You can do as you will. For you're the Son of God. You see, Martha had forgotten that Christ had life within himself. Martha had forgotten, at least momentarily, that the miracles that Christ performed were not the results of power alone from God. They were the results of his own power because he was God in human flesh. And look what Jesus does. Jesus gives her a lesson in Christology. He says these words... Your brother will rise again. And then Martha responds, I believe in the resurrection of the last day. I mean, I've been taught it all my life in Sunday school. And then Jesus looks at Martha and he says this, and I'm paraphrasing. He goes right to the point. He said, Martha, Martha, there is no resurrection apart from me. Without me, there's no hope. Everything hinged upon the person of Jesus Christ. Now, well, look at something else that I want to point out in this text. That <clears throat> Another place Martha stumbles, just a moment. Martha looks back. You see it in verse 21? Back uh, up one verse. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here only a, a few days earlier, things would be different. My sister Barbara was getting up one morning uh, when she, I think about the 10th grade, she was dressing one morning for school and she found a lump under her arm. My mother took her to the doctor, I think, the next day and uh, it didn't take the doctors long to diagnose Barbara with 
Hodgkin's disease. She lived about three years with this, with this disease and uh, passed away her senior year in high school. Now guys, do you know that if you are diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease today, if it's caught in the early stages, it's almost 100% curable. In fact, I was checking my facts out with Dr. Tower this week, and he told me that if you're diagnosed even in the late stages with Hodgkin's disease, it's all upwards to 70% curable. And then he told me that it was in the 1970s that the doctors made some of the greatest strides in the treatment of these kinds of cancers. Guys, I've often looked back and I've wondered, what if my sister had been diagnosed or uh, caught can this cancer in, the, in 1980? She might be alive today and I might be enjoying nieces and nephews by her. Hey guys, Martha looks back and look what Jesus does. Martha looks back Jesus points her forward. He says, in essence, Martha, remember who you are and base that upon who I am. He encourages her to look to the future. And what Jesus does is gently show Martha how to view life through eternal lenses. For if Jesus is who he said he was, if he is the resurrection, it changes everything. Guys, it changes everything for us. It changes how we choose a mate. It changes how we spend our money. It changes how we view pain and disappointment. It even changes how we view death. One of the great studies around here that uh, some of our small groups have been in, and I've, I mentioned this several times, because this Pil Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is full packed full of great doctrine and application of the Christian life. There's this one section in there that we come to when the Christian and hopeful are coming to the end of their journey. They're about to go to, into the celestial city, but before they can, they have to pass through a large mountain range called Delectable Mountains. It's in this mountain range that they're brought to this place called Clear. One of the shepherds leads Christian and hopeful to this clearing. And it's here that Christian and Hopeful are given an opportunity to look, to get a glimpse of the celestial city. And to do it, they look through a glass which represents the Word of God. And as they stand there looking from this place called Clear into the celestial city, they cannot see it clearly because their hands are shaking as they look through the Word of God. Now gang, it, the same is true for us today. We come to places called clear in the Christian life. In fact, we're at one of those places today where we take the Word of God and as Jesus encouraged Martha to look ahead to the promises of God, to view life through eternal lenses, she's been brought to a place called clear, as we have today. And yet, we cannot see the city clearly because our hands are shaking. And my question is, guys, how, why... Why do our hands shake when we attempt to view life through eternal lenses? I'll tell you one reason. is instances of unbelief. Like Martha experienced. Instances of unbelief. I made a trip to Home Depot again recently. Some of you have heard my Home Depot stories. Um, we have a, I have a bathtub drain in our guest bath that wasn't seating very well and you couldn't really take a bath. You'd, the water would drain out as fast as you'd put it in and 
my father and my parents were coming to town and my dad's from the old school. He doesn't shower, he takes baths. So I thought it'd be smart if I'd fix the bathtub drain before they got to town. So last week I went to Home Depot and went down the plumbing aisle and uh, enlisted the help of one of the associates who showed me a, a universal bathtub drain assembly. It cost about eight bucks. I bought the thing. And, and this guy was, um, he was semi-retired. Worked all his life in plumbing, so he knew the, you know, he knew the plumbing field, and he showed me what to buy and gave me a few instructions. And one of the questions I said, well, you don't, I don't have to take the bathtub out, do I? To replace it? It does come out through the top. Oh yes, yes, no problem. It unscrews through the top. So I was turning to walk off, and he said, wait a minute, you're going to need something else. There's a special tool to get this assembly, the old assembly, out. So we went over a couple of aisles, aisles over, and he showed me this. Uh, a special plumbing tool that he took off the top shelf and I looked at it and sure enough, it looked like it was exact, made exactly for this kind of project. It fits down in the drain and takes, it bites on the old um, metal pieces in there and helps you unscrew it. And, but I looked at that and I thought, you know, I, can, I think I can figure this out without this tool because the, the tool costs more than the plumbing kit. So I didn't buy it. I went home and got in the bathtub down in that porcelain tub on my knees, and I don't know if you've ever been over in a porcelain tub on your knees for very long, but it's an uncomfortable position. And I took some pliers, the handle part, and drove down in, down in that drain and, and um, took another wrench, and the first twist I made, snap, snap, I broke the insides of that thing off. I should have gotten the tool, but I didn't get it. About an hour later, I'm still bent over in that tub, and it's a cool March day, and there's sweat pouring off of me, and it's draining down in the bathtub, and I, I'm, now I'm at the point with a screwdriver and a hammer trying to break that thing loose, and I've chipped the portion in the tub, frustrated, and, you know, if somebody was there besides a preacher, somebody should have said something, and I was, I was, uh, I was at my wit's end. And then it came to me, you know, this is good enough for me, because doesn't it make sense that the guy who made this bathtub, the guy who designed it, knows how it is to be put together, knows exactly how it's to come apart. Doesn't it make sense that he would know the right tools and when to use what? And I should have listened to him. Well, guys, it's like that for us, isn't it, in the Christian life, spiritually speaking. Now, we, we believe and we preach in the sovereignty of God. I mean, we are a Reformed church here and... We believe in the sovereignty of God in creation and the sovereignty of God in election and salvation of His people. And yet we fail to rest in the Lord's providence. That is, surely if the God who created this world knows how this world is to function, surely the God who created this world has secured the future for us. And surely the God who created this world and has secured the future for us knows every part of the journey. In fact, He has ordained every part of our journey. In fact, there's nothing that will happen in our life that comes as a surprise to God. And yet, guys, we, we're encouraged in our worldview to look to the promises of God, to His covenant, and our handshake because we failed to rest in His kind providence. There are instances of unbelief. Another reason that our hands shake as we look toward the future is because we gaze in love in the wrong direction. That is, so often we love this world and our own life more than we love the God who created us. 
Guys, there's a second part to this story. It's really, it could be another sermon. And if, if I was preaching just this text, John 12, that there would be another sermon title. But you can't look in John 11 and walk away from John 11 without looking at, at the first part of John 12. It's part two to the story. Look there in John 12, just briefly. Now guys, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it causes a big uproar. You know, this is... Um, no man has been raised from the grave after he's been dead four days. It's quite a miracle. And, and the religious leaders are quite upset because many of the Jews are turning to Jesus Christ in believing faith. So Jesus retires from the region. He leaves the region for a while. Now in John 12, Jesus comes back to Bethany. This is part of his final journey to Jerusalem. In just a matter of days, Jesus will go to the cross. But here in Bethany, he has to pass through Bethany, because it's about two miles from Jerusalem. He has to pass through Bethany to get to the city of Jerusalem. And here, a dinner is given in his honor. Look at the text, just the first three verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now guys, in this setting, part two, Martha sort of goes to the background. Mary comes forward as one of the main characters. And guys, it's on this night that Mary pours out her perfume in worship of her Savior. Mary anoints Jesus in anticipation of his death. She realizes that every possible moment must be spent in his presence. The time had come for true worship. And the text is clear. Mary's gift was an extreme sacrifice. It's worth about a year's wages. It's so large that even some of the people closest to the Lord are left gasping in unbelief. In fact, Judas, in the, in the text, is convinced that the money could be used wiser, more efficiently in another place. But now, guys, here's my final thought in the sermon this morning. And it comes in the form of a question. How do you explain Mary's worship? How do you explain such extravagant worship? Now, think about it. My first impulse is to explain it in light of Lazarus. I mean, wouldn't you be excited and thankful that your brother had given, been given a second chance at life? And yet, the longer I thought about this, the more I realized there's got to be something more here than just a brother given a second chance to live out his dreams. There's something more to the story than Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it came to me in one of those moments when I was looking back in my life, studying this text, I thought of my sister again, and I realized that Barbara had a far more serious disease than cancer. It was a disease she was born with. No human cure. Nothing known to man that can hold this disease in check. No chemotherapy, no radiation, nothing. It would take an extravagant gift it would take a master plan that would require an extravagant circumstance or sacrifice to take away this disease. Guys, the disease, of course, is called sin. And every one of us 
have been affected by it. And it would take the Son of God to take away the sins of the world. Again, I, I, I tell you what explains Mary's extravagant worship. Mary found forgiveness of sins. This is not theologically profound, but yet we've missed it. We've missed it today. I mean, I think one of the reasons our worship is so passive and so half-hearted is because we have forgotten what has been forgiven. We do not take sin seriously in our lives. It sticks its head up everywhere. And it's a, it's a life-threatening disease. In fact, it's killing us. We're already dead, in a sense. I think sometimes we view sin as some outward force impinging upon us that we, you know, we try to resist and fight and build defensive walls. But guys, the Bible tells us that sin, that sin begins in the human heart. It bubbles up out of the heart. It's a part of who we are. It's our nature. And it requires an extravagant sacrifice. And my argument, guys, I think the whole point of John 12 is extravagant love calls for extravagant worship. Again, you know, those, you know those words that Jimmy and I share every time we come down to uh, the communion table, uh, the first of the month? We come down here and we, uh, we usually try to say something new, something fresh. I usually try to say something, something that will stimulate your thought a little bit about the sacrament so that you'll appreciate it once again. So we say a few words before we come to the, the sacrament, and yet there's, there's one part that we never change. There's some words we never change. And you know the verse. It's found in Matthew 26. You know the words. After they had broken bread together, I say it every month, after they had broken bread together, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and offered it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sin. Ernest Hemingway tells this story about a Spanish father who seeks to reconcile with his son who's run away to Madrid. And so the father who's now remorseful takes out this ad in the national newspaper in Spain. And the ad reads like this, in bold letters, Paco, his son's name, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana on noon Tuesday. There's a pause. Then he says, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Well, Paco is a very common name in Spain. And when the father shows up outside the, the courtyard in front of the hotel on Tuesday, he finds 800 young men named Paco waiting for their father. Hey guys, would you agree with me that forgiveness is one of our most basic needs and it's one of God's best gifts? Forgiveness of sins. I propose again to you that extravagant love like that demands extravagant worship. 
Guys, I, I planned to close the service a little early today because I wanted to invite you again to worship with us. And after I pray, I'm going to have this, uh, our team come back and we're going to lead in a time of worship. I, I consider it a time of response to the Word of God. I don't know about you, but when I'm reminded of who I am, who I was, and what God has done for me through Jesus Christ, I, I have to say something. I, I need to sing. I need to respond. This is an opportunity for you to participate again in our worship. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we have been reminded again this morning of our human frailty. We have been reminded that you are the sovereign God, creator of the universe, who in your sovereign love decided to reach down and to touch us, to redeem us, to bring us to yourself. Father, we've been reminded that this extreme sacrifice that you made on our behalf demands extravagant worship. I pray, Father, that through the study of your word, we would be men and women who would be changed in our attitude about life. Lord, I pray that we'll walk out of here as men and women strengthened in our faith. Not just a faith that's assured of salvation, but a faith that is assured of salvation today, that you are saving us today. And you have secured the future for us. And then, Father, I pray that we would truly be the people of God who view life through eternal lenses. Lenses Make us strong today as the result of your word. Lord, I pray that our worship as we close today would be a sweet, sweet perfume, a sweet aroma in your nostrils. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.